Hey everyone, welcome back to Yacht Talk Hacking the Boards. I'm Ben. And I'm Yaakov. Welcome to our soap note episode on valvular disorders, murmurs, syncope, and arrhythmias. The goal with these soap note episodes is to cover only the highest yield content from the previous couple episodes in the form of rapid question and answer. In this case, we'll be covering episodes 8 through 12. Let's dive right in. All right, so starting with content from episode 8. Ben, what are the four most commonly tested valvular disorders? Aortic stenosis, mitral stenosis, aortic regurgitation, and mitral regurgitation. And what do we use to diagnose any of those? Echocardiography. Great. And is aortic stenosis usually symptomatic? No, unless it's severe. What's the classic symptom associated with severe aortic stenosis? Presyncope or syncope. And what's the classic blood pressure finding in aortic stenosis? Narrowed pulse pressure. What's the classic murmur in aortic stenosis? Crescendo, decrescendo, late peaking systolic murmur. And where is the aortic stenosis murmur heard best? The right upper sternal border, aka the right first or second intercostal space. Where does aortic stenosis classically radiate? The carotids. And what is pulsus parvus et tardis? A slow rising and delayed carotid pulse, not a Harry Potter spell. Oh, good. I thought it might be a Harry Potter spell. So thanks for clarifying. Um, Common misconception. Yeah. And what type of heart failure can aortic stenosis lead to? Diastolic heart failure. What heart sound does aortic stenosis affect? Aortic stenosis causes a soft and single S2 during inspiration. What's the most common cause of aortic stenosis? Depends on age. Ah, touche, touche. So how about in elderly people? In elderly, it's calcifications of the aortic valve, aka senile calcific changes. And how about in younger people? Bicuspid aortic valve. What's the aortic stenosis mimicker that presents with a palpable thrill in the suprasternal notch? Coarctation of the aorta, aka supravalvular stenosis. And what can we do about severe symptomatic aortic stenosis? Replace the valve. So shifting gears a bit, what's the murmur associated with mitral regurgitation? A holosystolic murmur, loudest at the apex. And does this one radiate? Sometimes, yes, to the axilla. Great. And what are some symptoms associated with mitral regurg? Palpitations, dyspnea on exertion, or chest pain, though it's often asymptomatic. And what's the most common etiology in developed nations? Mitral valve prolapse from myxomatous valvular degeneration. Nice. Very fancy. And what does mitral valve prolapse without mitral regurge sound like? A mid-systolic click. What kind of heart failure can mitral regurge lead to? Systolic heart failure. What are three conditions other than mitral valve prolapse that can cause mitral regurge? Dilated cardiomyopathy, papillary muscle rupture, and acute rheumatic fever. So moving on to our next valve pathology, what murmur does aortic regurgitation make? A decrescendo diastolic murmur. And where would you hear uh, valvular aortic regurg best? The left sternal border. Great. And where do you hear, hear aortic regurg from aortic root dilation best? The right upper sternal border. What's the classic constellation of symptoms that aortic regurgitation causes? Hyperdynamic circulation. Great. And what are two symptoms in one physical exam finding which result from that hyperdynamic circulation? Bounding pulses, 
head bobbing, and widened pulse pressure. Great. So if you see any of those, think aortic regurge. And what's the most common cause of aortic regurge? In developed nations, aortic root dilation. And how does that happen? Syphilis, Marfan disease, or other connective tissue disorders. Great. And what are other causes of aortic regurge? Also bicuspid aortic valve, or rheumatic heart disease, or endocarditis. And what kind of heart failure can aortic regurge lead to? Systolic. And now for mitral stenosis, what's the classic murmur there? A mid-diastolic opening snap, followed by a diastolic murmur. And what's the classic predisposing factor? Untreated rheumatic heart disease. Right. And how will they hint at that in a question stem? They might tell you that the patient is a recent immigrant or refugee. And what structural change will mitral stenosis cause? Left atrial dilation. Great. And what does that put the patient at risk for? AFib and mural thrombus, then stroke or other thromboembolic event. All right. Moving on to our lowest yield murmur, what does tricuspid regurgitation sound like? It's a holosystolic murmur, best heard at the left lower sternal border. And how do we know if a murmur involves valves on the right side of the heart generally? If it worsens with inspiration. Great. And what's the classic risk factor for tricuspid regurge? IV drug use. And what's the murmur for hokum? Moving on to hokum. Holosystolic murmur at the left sternal border. How about for a VSD? What would that murmur sound like? A blowing holosystolic murmur at the lower left sternal border. And how about an ASD murmur? A holosystolic murmur, best heard at the left upper sternal border with wide fixed split S2. Great. All right, let's move on to content from episode nine. Ben, take it away. Let's start big picture. What physical exam maneuvers can differentiate hokum from aortic stenosis? So Valsalva, or standing up, increases hokum murmur intensity, but decreases aortic stenosis intensity. And what physical exam maneuver differentiates mitral regurge from aortic stenosis? So that would be hand grip. So hand grip will increase the mitral regurge intensity and decrease aortic stenosis intensity. What are our four main maneuvers we use to assess murmurs? Valsalva, standing up, squatting, and hand grip. How do Valsalva or standing up affect hemodynamics in general? All of those, or both of those, I should say, will decrease preload. How does squatting affect hemodynamics? So squatting will increase preload and increase afterload. How does hand grip? Hand grip will increase afterload. What causes the murmur in hokum? So in hokum, you have interventricular septum that's thick and bulging into the ventricular outflow tract. What causes the murmur in mitral valve prolapse? So in mitral valve prolapse, the chordae tendinae and valve leaflets uh, press together. What hemodynamic changes increase both hokum and MVP murmurs? That would be decreased preload. Which maneuvers increase MVP and hokum murmurs? So Valsalva or standing up, because both of those will decrease preload. How will Valsalva or standing affect all the other murmurs? So all other murmurs will actually get quieter with Valsalva or standing. Which maneuvers decrease MVP and hokum murmurs? So that would be squatting or hand grip. What hemodynamic changes increase intensity of regurge murmurs and VSD? So for regurge murmurs and VSD, increased afterload will increase those, their intensity. Therefore, which maneuvers increase MR, AR, and VSD murmurs? 
So for a MR, AR, and VSD, squatting or hand grip will increase their intensity. Again, which maneuver can be used to differentiate between MR and AS? So for MR versus AS, we do hand grip. How will that help differentiate? Mitral regurg will uh, increase in intensity with hand grip, whereas aortic stenosis will decrease in intensity with hand grip. Great, and that wraps up episode nine. I'm gonna continue on with episode 10 as well. What is the general pathophys behind syncope? So syncope is caused in general by cerebral hypoperfusion. What are the three broad kinds of syncope? So broadly, we have reflex syncope, orthostatic syncope, and cardiac syncope. What are the three specific etiologies of cardiac syncope? Within cardiac syncope, we think about ventricular tachycardia, bradycardia, and left ventricular outflow obstruction. What are the three etiologies of reflex syncope? Within reflex syncope, we think about vasovagal, situational, and baroreceptor hypersensitivity. And what are the three etiologies of orthostatic syncope? For orthostatic syncope, we think about medication causes, hypovolemia, and autonomic dysfunction. How do you differentiate syncope from seizure? So seizure is much more likely to have tongue biting and much more likely to have a post-ictal state. Okay, what's the characteristic presentation of syncope from ventricular tachycardia? So in a patient in VTAC who has syncope, it'll happen at rest with no warning symptoms. How do you manage a young patient with that presentation? If they're young, we could probably just do ambulatory cardiac monitoring, aka a Holter monitor, as long as they're stable. What about an older patient? An older patient will automatically be admitted for cardiac telemetry. What is the strongest risk factor for VTAC? Having a previous MI. What is the characteristic presentation of syncope due to bradycardia? So if you, if you faint from bradycardia, you'll usually have preceding lightheadedness, dizziness, and or fatigue. How do you treat symptomatic bradycardia in the long term? Long term would be pacemaker placement. How does syncope due to left ventricular outflow obstruction present? That would present with syncope on exertion. What's the most likely etiology of LV outflow obstruction in a young versus an old person? In a young person, for LV outflow obstruction, we think about hokum, whereas in an older person, we think about aortic stenosis. What's the general mechanism of all reflex syncope? Reflex syncope happens from reflex parasympathetic activation. What causes vasovagal syncope? So with vasovagal, it's sympathetic activation caused by a stressful trigger. What is the characteristic prodrome for vasovagal? So for vasovagal syncope, it'll be lightheadedness, nausea, warmth, and sweating. What would you expect if you looked at the EKG of a person experiencing vasovagal syncope? You'd expect bradycardia with sinus arrest. When does situational syncope occur? That'll occur with straining, as in during micturition, defecation, sneezing, or coughing. How do you counsel someone with vasovagal or situational syncope? You would counsel them on counter-pressure maneuvers like hand grip or leg tensing anytime they feel those prodrome symptoms coming on. How does carotid or baroreceptor hypersensitivity present? That'll be syncope after neck pressure, so typically after tightening a tie or when shaving. What's the greatest risk factor for this type of syncope? That would be atherosclerotic disease and age. How does orthostatic syncope present? 
That'll be syncope after positional changes, usually getting up from lying or sitting down. What's the characteristic physical exam finding in orthostatic syncope? So in uh, orthostatic syncope, we think about orthostatic hypotension, i.e. a much lower blood pressure on standing compared to lying down or sitting. Which medications put one at risk for orthostatic syncope? So for orthostatic syncope, we think about antihypertensive drugs, alpha-1 blockers, and beta blockers. What are some causes of hypovolemia leading to orthostatics? So within hypovolemia, we think about GI losses or poor PO intake. And what are some causes of autonomous function that can lead to orthostatic hypotension? So for autonomic dysfunction, we think about diabetic neuropathy or Parkinsonian diseases. Great. Yaakov, take us away for episode 11. All right, moving on. What are the three general etiologies of tachyarrhythmias? Atrial fibrillation, supraventricular tachycardias, and ventricular tachycardias. And what is atrial fibrillation? That's when the pulmonary veins are acting as ectopic foci for electrical uh, conductivity. Great. And what structural change puts the patient at risk for AFib? Left atrial dilation. What are four risk factors for AFib? That would be hypertension, heart failure, coronary artery disease, and valvular disorders. And how about three reversible causes of AFib? Hyperthyroid, intoxication with cocaine or alcohol, and severe acute illness. And what is the characteristic EKG finding of AFib? Irregularly irregular rhythm, meaning variable R to R interval and no discernible P waves. And what's the difference between paroxysmal and sustained AFib? Paroxysmal only happens in episodes. Sustained is constant. And how do we treat persistent AFib? Rate or rhythm control. Can you name three drug types that can rate control? Beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, and digoxin. And name three ways to rhythm control someone. Amiodarone, procainamide, or cryoablation. And what's the benefit of rate or rhythm control in AFib? It both reverses and prevents ventricular remodeling, as well as uh, worse arrhythmias. How does AFib put the patient at risk for clots? The turbulent and also static flow in the left atrium. Which pathologies does that put the patient at risk for? Things like acute limb ischemia and embolic stroke. What's the assessment tool used to decide whether a patient with AFib needs anticoagulation? The CHADS-VASC score. Which drugs are used for AFib patients on chronic anticoagulation? DOAX, usually apixaban or rivaroxaban. And how do we treat hemodynamically unstable AFib? Synchronized cardioversion. What are the two most commonly tested types of SVT, supraventricular tachycardia? AVRT and AVNRT. And where does the aberrant electrical pathway in AVNRT originate? The AV node. What will AVNRT look like on EKG? A regular narrow complex tachycardia with buried P waves. Where does the aberrant pathway originate in AVRT? The bundle of Kent. And what is the classic predisposing condition to AVRT? Wolf Parkinson White or WPW. Nice. And what does WPW look like on an EKG? that classic delta wave with the shortened PR interval. What's the first step in management for someone with an SVT? Vagal maneuvers such as carotid massage, leg raise, or 
ice packs to the face. And how did those work? They decrease AB node conductivity. And if those fail? You have to give the patient adenosine. And what is adenosine's mechanism of action and pharmacokinetics? It's an AV nodal blocker, and it is rapidly acting also with rapid elimination. And what if adenosine doesn't terminate the patient's SVT? Then you have to turn to IV metoprolol or diltiazem. How do you treat a patient with an SVT who goes into AFib? Not adenosine, that's very important, but an antiarrhythmic like procainamide or ibutilide. And how would we treat someone with an unstable SVT? Synchronized cardioversion. What's the buzzword for atrial flutters ectopic focus? Cavotricuspid isthmus. Perfect. So that's where it originates, right? And yeah. what differentiates multifocal atrial tachycardia? You have to have at least two different morphologies of P wave. What are the three major ventricular tachycardias? One is ventricular tachycardia. Gotta love it. Mm -hmm. Two, ventricular fibrillation. And three, torsade de pont. Very good. Very French of you, too. Thank you. Mostly yeah. known as torsades. Nice. <laughs> and how does VTAC appear on EKG? Wide, complex, regular, monomorphic tachycardia. What's the pathophysiology of VTAC? Atrioventricular dissociation. And what are the main risk factors for VTAC? Previous MI and electrolyte abnormalities. How do we treat stable, sustained VTAC? IV amiodarone. And how does torsade de plant present on EKG? Polymorphic VTAC with twisting variable amplitude Q QRS complexes. What are the two main risk factors for torsades? Hypomagnesemia and prolonged QT interval. And how do we treat torsades? IV magnesium. How does ventricular fibrillation appear on EKG? Wide quivering QRS complexes with no pattern. And how do we treat VFib or pulseless VTAC? Defibrillation, AKA unsynchronized cardioversion, and of course, CPR. Great, so that wraps up episode 11. Ben, take us away with high yield content from episode 12. Yaakov, what is the pathophysiology of sick sinus syndrome? Sick sinus syndrome comes from age-related SA node degradation. What are some characteristic features of sick sinus? So in sick sinus, we'll see sinus pauses and tachybrady syndrome. How does the tachy portion of tachybrady syndrome usually present? That'll be AFib. What's the treatment for most treatable bradyarrhythmias, including sick sinus? So most treatable bradyarrhythmias can be treated long-term with a pacemaker. Okay, moving on. What is the pathophysiology behind heart block? Heart block comes from degradation of the AV node conduction system. What is the main risk factor for heart block? Heart block, uh, the main risk factor is ischemic heart disease. Second is AV nodal blocking agents. What are some other testable rare causes of heart block? Rare causes of heart block include sarcoidosis and even Lyme disease. Okay, so now getting to each of the different types of heart block, how does first degree heart block present? It'll present incidentally, usually without any symptoms at all. Great, and what does first degree heart block look like on EKG? Just a prolonged PR interval. And what's the treatment for first degree heart block? That'll just be observation. What are the other special names for second-degree heart block type 1? 
So secondary heart block type one is also called Wenckebach or Mobitz type one. And how does Wenckebach present? Usually asymptomatically or with mild symptoms. What's that cool and characteristic EKG finding for Wenckebach? It'll be progressively increasing PR intervals leading to a dropped QRS. So longer, longer, longer PR, and then dropped QRS. Nice. And what's a special risk factor for Wenckebach? Increased vagal tone, such as in athletes. And how do we treat Wenckebach? Usually it's observation. Very rarely they'll need a pacemaker. How does Mobitz type 2 present? Mobitz type 2 is uh, the symptomatic one. Um, They'll usually have symptoms of lightheadedness and or syncope. And what's the characteristic EKG finding in Mobitz type 2? So they'll have randomly dropped QRSs, um, increased PR intervals sometimes, or it could be a normal PR interval as well, but it won't be prolonging. And how do we treat Mobitz 2? So Mobitz 2 is treated with a pacemaker since it has a high rate of progression to complete heart block. Speaking of, how does third degree or complete heart block present? It'll present with severe bradycardia and symptoms like syncope, malaise, or angina from demand ischemia. And how does this present on EKG? That'll show essentially complete dissociation of the P's and the Q's with a very slow ventricular rate. And how do we acutely treat a stable patient with third degree heart block? We'll treat them with cardiac pacing. What about the long-term treatment? Long-term treatment would be with a pacemaker. And how do we treat a patient who is hemodynamically unstable and has sinus bradycardia? That's where you want to push atropine. And if that doesn't work? Then you would move to agents like epinephrine or dopamine, as well as cardiac pacing. Fantastic job. You answered the last question. That wraps up the soap note. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next time. 